0: entitled, Cosmic New Year, Thoughts for New Year, 1920. It is volume 195 in the Collected Works. This is Lecture 3, given in Stuttgart, December 28, 1919. From the discussions we have had here for some time, especially from those of recent days, it should be apparent how very necessary it is that the knowledge of initiation should enter into human cultural development, Today we must already say entirely without reservation, the rescue of humanity from a downward course of development depends literally on making humanity aware of the revelation that can only be experienced through spiritual cognition. Emotional or logical objections may be made from one side or another. It may be said that in our time it will be difficult for large numbers of people to accept knowledge that for now can only come from the few individuals who have developed the capacity of looking into the spiritual world to a high degree. But even seemingly justifiable objections say absolutely nothing against the fact, which speaks loud and clear, that without the acceptance of what we call anthroposophically oriented spiritual science, the culture of humanity must sink into the abyss and the work on earth must fall to powers that will not include humanity in their further development in the world. Things will not go otherwise unless enough people fill themselves with what I have just tried to say, and healing in this direction can be brought to humanity. For only those who absolutely will not look at what is happening in the world as a result of these last catastrophic years can close their eyes to the fact that we are starting out on the road to ruin and that only something new can lead us away from this path. Whatever one may look for within this destructive process itself can never become anything else but a force of destruction. Now, only what will really draw on sources that have not belonged to the earth's development up till now can bring about a force for reconstruction. But there are significant difficulties standing in the way of obtaining results from such sources. It is often said that the science of initiation could not without reservation be brought to humanity because a particular kind of reception is necessary for it. You see, again and again people listen to this, but again and again this is also just what is always being sinned against. Let us take only a very simple example. One of the very first, most elementary requirements receiving the science of initiation, is that those who receive it must try to overcome what, for example, could be called a desire to be looked up to, in particular when they express a judgment comparing their own personality with that of other people. Now it is quite easy to see that just in what we call the anthroposophical society, what would be the point of not saying it, it is admitted over and over again that this is right but we see that just the most disagreeable things exist within a movement such as the anthroposophical one, that just in it opposing intrigues and mutual envy take root. I will only just point out these manifestations, for today I must speak of the other, even greater difficulties facing the introduction of initiation science into the culture of the earth. You see, to begin with, what has to be shown to humanity in a comprehensive way is what one could call the mystery of the human will. This mystery has been hidden from the culture of humanity in recent times, especially since the middle of the 15th century, since the beginning of the fifth post-Atlantean epoch. One can say the worldview of almost nothing about the will. We have often characterized it The human individual never experiences the actual nature of the will during waking consciousness. Awake human beings experience the nature of their conceptions, in dreaming the nature of their feelings, but even when awake they are partly asleep with regard to the will. We go through the world as so-called awake human beings, but are only awake to our conceptions, half-awake dreaming in our feelings, and are completely asleep to the will, let us not deceive ourselves about this. We have conceptions about our willing, but only when the will becomes a conception, only when the will is portrayed to the intelligence, do we experience it when awake. What is going on there in the depths of the human being? Even when we only raise a hand, which means setting our will into motion, of that... The normal person of today knows nothing at all. This means that the mystery of the will is completely unknown to human beings of today, and this is really connected with the fact that our whole recent culture, especially what has developed since the fifteenth century, is a culture of the mind, because the culture of natural science is a culture of the mind. In everything that we grasp with the intellect, that we pursue with the mind, the will has the least part to play. Whenever we think, when we imagine, the will, of course, also plays a part in our imagining, but in a very, very refined way. We are unaware of the pulsation of the will in our imagining or how else the will functions in our being. In a certain way it is due to the exclusively intellectual culture of recent times that the mystery of the will is completely hidden from the people of this time If one now approaches the investigation of the will with those means of spiritual science that I have often spoken of here, that is to say, if one tries to enliven, with the help of imagination and inspiration, those forces that can see into the workings, that become active when the human being wills, then one realizes that in our physical life, between birth and death, the will is essentially connected not with the upbuilding processes, but with those of disintegration. If in our brain only upbuilding processes were at work, if only, for example, what is done by the nourishment taken up by the life forces were at work, then we would not be able to develop a soul and spiritual life through the instrument of our nerves and brain. It is only because of the continual process of breaking down or disintegration in our brain that the soul and spiritual element can secure a place in what is disintegrating. That this is just where the will is at work. The will of the human being is essentially something that during our physical life is already partly working for our death. Regarding our head organization, we are constantly dying, Every moment we are dying. We only live because the rest of our organism works against this constant dying of the head. But it is the will above all else that is active in this dying of the head. In our head continually takes place what, apart from ourselves, is objectively happening in the world outside when we have passed through physical death. Our corpse really is of no concern to us to the extent that we are human individualities and are entering the soul-spiritual worlds through the gate of death, but it is of great concern to the universe, because this corpse is delivered in some form to the elements of the earth, through cremation or burial, it does not really matter how. There, in its own way, it continues to do what our human will partially does in our nerve system, our sensory system, during the life between birth and death. We can imagine and think, due to our will, destroying something in us. We give our corpse over to the earth, and with the help of this disintegrating corpse, which merely continues the same process that we were partially carrying out during our life, the whole earth imagines and thinks, so to speak. What goes on continuously in the earth through the reciprocal activity between the earth and the dead corpses, I once characterized this to you from other points of view some months ago, is an activity that is quite similar in character to the will activity, continually at work unconsciously in our nerve and sensory system in breaking down, disintegrating and working toward a corpse-like condition between birth and death. It is the same will that between birth and death works by means of disintegration, by connecting itself with our eye, that same will within the boundaries of our skin that after our death works cosmically through our corpse in the thinking and imagination of the whole earth. Thus we are cosmically connected with what one can call the sole spiritual process of the whole of earth's existence. This concept is of great weight, for it concretely places the human being in the cosmic aspect of our earth existence. This demonstrates how related the human will is to what the forces of death are doing in our earth existence. It shows the relationship of the human will to the working of the general world will in disintegration and in bringing about the conditions for death on the earth. But just as our continuing development in the spiritual world after we die depends on not having a physical body anymore, on not working with bodily forces but with other ones, so does a thriving further development of the whole earth depend on whether humanity unites itself not with these death forces but with life forces that develop themselves in a different direction than these death forces. To say this before humanity of today, so filled with personal intentions and feelings, is already something rather severe, because the seriousness of such a truth is felt today only to a very limited degree. Humanity has indeed forgotten how to take great truths with the necessary deep seriousness, but despite that it must further be asked. How, then, is what lies in the human will, as I have described it, actually connected with the disintegration processes in outer nature? It is here, we might say, where the greatest illusion confronts the human being of today. What does a human being actually do when looking at nature? Yes, there is a natural process taking place. Before, another process took place that is its cause before that again another one, and so on. In this way, modern people find a chain of causes and effects in nature and are very proud of it when they comprehend the outer world by following the thread of causality. What comes about from this? Well, ask any conscientious geologist, physicist, chemist, or any other orthodox natural scientist, though they may often shy away from drawing the ultimate conclusions based on their view of the world, whether they do not have to imagine that the earth, the stones, plants, and many animals too, would have developed just as they have if the human being had not been there, if no houses, no machines, no airships had been built by the buffaloes, bulls, and so on. Everything else that to day we do not consider the work of human beings would all have been there from the beginning to end, even if the human beings had not been there, because in outer nature, there exists a chain of causes and effects. What came later is the result of what came before, and actually the human being was not there at the formation of this chain of events, according to present-day opinion. This view contains exactly the same error as the following. Imagine that I write a sentence on the blackboard, Stuttgart is a city now somebody comes across this sentence and says that they will scientifically investigate what they find written on this blackboard starting from the back we first find a letter y then comes out of the this comes out of the t then the t comes out of the preceding i the i out of the preceding c and so on <clears throat> each time we have the effect of the preceding cause. The Y is the effect of the T, the T is the effect of the I, and so forth. You see, it is nonsense. Each letter only exists because I have written it, and the preceding letter did not, of course, create the subsequent one. A thorough, unprejudiced examination of the character, of the processes in nature, will convince us of the same. We say under the great illusion of contemporary science, effects are the result of their causes, It is not so. In nature we must look for the actual causes elsewhere, just as we must look for the cause for the sequence of letters in our understanding. And where, by and large, lie the causes for what happens in nature? Only through spiritual perception can we determine that the causes lie with humanity. Do you know where you must look if you want to see the real causes for the development of nature on the earth? You must investigate how the will, deeply asleep in our present state of consciousness, is located in the center of gravity of the human being, that is, in the abdomen. Only a portion of the will is active in the human head, and the greater part of it is centered in the rest of the organism. What comes into existence as the outer development of nature depends on what the human being is in relation to this unconscious will. Up to now we could only quote one significant case in this development, but it applies to the whole of it. I have often drawn your attention to the fact that during the time of Atlantis people devoted themselves to a kind of black magic. As a result, the Ice Age spread over the civilized world. But in a most comprehensive sense, everything in the development of nature is in reality the result of the will-activity not of a single human being, but of the working together of various will-forces coming from the human centers of gravity. If a sufficiently developed being were to study the earth, let us say from Mars or Mercury, in order to understand how the development of nature takes place here, then this being would not describe nature as would a person who wants to seem educated. Such a being would look over the earth and say, down there on the earth are many points where the forces that bring about the development of nature are centered. But for this being, these points would not lie outside in nature, but always inside the human beings. Someone looking from outside would feel They must look at what is within humanity if they want to seek the causes for what happens in the development of nature. This insight into the relationship of human will activity with the overall development of nature will have to become an integral part of the future natural science of humanity. Of course, we can be deceived if we only observe the development of nature as far as the end of our nose, then of course the relationship will not be apparent. With such a natural science, human beings will feel themselves responsible for what they are in quite a different way than they generally feel today. From being a citizen of the earth, human beings will become cosmic citizens. They will learn to regard themselves as belonging to the cosmos. But consider that just as soon as one draws attention to such things, the knowledge of them becomes part of us. This knowledge is not like the shadow of our intellectual knowledge, but is derived much more from the reality of things, and therefore it works in a way that is much more real. And since it works in a more real way than the shadow-like knowledge of present-day humanity, it is then necessary that human beings take seriously what is revealed through this knowledge. One cannot remain a citizen of the cosmos in the sense just described, on the one hand, and on the other still remain the old kind of pedant that the last few centuries, since the middle of the 15th century, have produced in the humanity of today. One cannot, on the one hand, want to become a participant in cosmic events, and on the other hand indulge in frequent gossip sessions about our fellow human beings, as has been happening in the bourgeois times since the middle of the 15th century. It is necessary that another ethos, another moral other moral impulses find their way throughout humanity if, at the same time, the science of initiation is to enter in a serious way. <clears throat> for today a special hindrance to the entry of this initiation science is everything that is unrighteously preparing for the appearance of Araman on our earth. I have just recently referred to this fact in order to characterize a little for you the right festival mood for this year's Christmas. I will now briefly recapitulate when we go back to in the history of the earth, then we find before our present materialistic culture the Greco-Roman culture going back to the eighth century b c e We see appearing a few centuries after the beginning of this Greco-Roman period what we might call the old life of wisdom of ancient times at that time already filtered in the land of Greece. Nietzsche had strange, even morbid feelings in this connection. From the beginning of his intellectual work, he felt himself to be an opponent of Socrates, and he never tired to speak again and again of the greater worth of the pre-Socratic Greek culture as compared with the Socratic and post-Socratic. I will not enter into this matter further other than to say to you, it is certainly true that on the one hand a great epoch of humanity began with Socrates one that found its culmination in the transition from the excuse me in the transition of the 14th and 15th centuries but for this age of socrates time has now run out really run out the socratic epoch took from the prior impulsive wisdom merely, merely the logic the dialectic This taking of only the logic from the old clairvoyant wisdom is the characteristic of our Western culture. It has also left its stamp on Christianity because the theology of the West is also a dialectical one. But what comes up in Greece as dialectic, as spirituality filtered to abstraction, goes back to the mysteries of the East. And with these mysteries were also those that founded the culture that later became the Chinese culture within which Lucifer incarnated. This should not be concealed that Lucifer himself was once in a body, just as the Christ wandered about the earth in a body at the time of the mystery of Golgotha. But one pedantically misunderstands this Luciferic incarnation when one wants to regard everything that came out of Lucifer as a kind of touch-me-not. From Lucifer, for example, the height of Greek culture itself came about, the real art of that time, and humanity's impulse for art the way we actually still think about it. But in Europe all of that has become frozen into phrases and devoid of content, and it was through Luciferic wisdom that Christianity first became understood in Europe. That is what is significant, that in Greek wisdom, which developed as a gnosis to understand the mystery of Golgotha, The old Luciferic wisdom was also at work and gave form to the ancient Gnosis. At that time it was Christianity's greatest victory that the mystery of Golgotha clothed itself in what Lucifer gave to the world. But while the culture of Lucifer, which was given to humanity through his actual incarnation, was ebbing away, the tide was gradually rising for what was preparing for the future incarnation of Ahriman on the earth. When the time is ripe and it is preparing itself for that, Aramon will incarnate in the West in a human body. This event must take place, just as Lucifer and Christ had to incarnate. This fact is prescribed for the development of the earth. What is important is only this, to face up to the fact as to properly prepare for it, for Ahriman will not wait to act until he appears on the earth as a human being but he is already preparing in the supersensible worlds for his appearance. He is already working into the development of humanity. And from where he is now, he seeks the tools to prepare himself for what is to come. Now, an essential way to achieve a favorable effect of what Ahriman is to bring to humanity, he will bring positive things, the same as Lucifer, is that humanity has the right attitude to it. It all depends on humanity not sleeping through his appearance. When the incarnated Aramon appears in the West, the birth record will say, John William Smith is born, of course that won't be his name, and people will look upon him as a good citizen, just like other citizens, and they will be unaware of what is actually happening. Our university professors will quite certainly not take care that we are awake for this. For them what will appear there will be John William Smith. But what is important is that in this Aramonic age people know that only outwardly will we be dealing with John William Smith and that inwardly Aramon is present. We cannot let ourselves be deceived and sleepily deluded by what is going on. Yes, already now we must not be under any illusion that these things are being prepared. Among the most important means that Ahriman has to work down from the other world is this, to promote the abstract thinking of humanity. And because this abstract thinking is so popular these days, people are well paving the way for the appearance of Araman in ways favorable to him. For Araman to trap the whole earth into his own development, nothing could better prepare than pursuing this life of abstraction, which today has even penetrated the social life That is one of the feints, one of the tricks, whereby Ahriman thinks to prepare for his mastery of the earth. Instead of showing people from actual experience what should be done, they are told about general theories, about social theories. Those who talk about theories find what comes just from experience to be abstract, because they haven't the least notion about real life. All of this is the Ahrimanic way of preparation. But there is still another way of preparing for Aramon. This is also something that people today now need to know about, which can happen through an erroneous conception of the Gospels. Of course you know there are numerous people today, especially among the official representatives of one or other of the denominations, who are fighting tooth and nail just against what is coming out from the science of initiation to give us a new understanding of Christ. Such people, if they don't only do homage to rationalism, still accept the Gospels. But what do they know about the actual nature of the Gospels? People of this kind were just the ones who applied the outer, worldly, historic scientific method to the Gospels in the 19th century. And what happened to these Gospels using the scientific method of the 19th century? Nothing. Except that this conception of the Gospels gradually became materialized. The first thing that was noted was the contradictions contained in the four Gospels, and then, from the perception of these contradictions, a downward slide took place to what I call Schmiedelei. For in the end, what is all that comes out of the Gospel research of Schmiedel from Basel? I mean the theologian Professor Schmiedel, not our Dr. Schmiedel. What is this? I would like to say, other than taking the Gospels off their hinges. What is dear old Schmiedel looking for in the Gospels? He is seeking to prove that they are not just products of fantasy, only intended to glorify Christ Jesus, and arrives at a limited number of points, Schmiedel's famous main points, in which unfavorable things were also said about the Christ. These, he thinks, would have been left out if the Gospels had only been written for the glorification of Jesus. So one finally has the feeling that he enters into everything where Christ Jesus is portrayed in a negative light in order to salvage a tiny bit of conventional knowledge for the Gospels, but even this tiny bit will fall away. Nothing will be won from conventional knowledge that will be able to prove the authenticity of the Gospels in the way these gentlemen would like. To have the right attitude to these Gospels, one would have to know why they came to exist, In other words, one would have to know what they actually want. This we will only come to recognize with minds really fructified by what can emerge from spiritual science. But if we enter deeply into the Gospels, if we absorb their content and their power, then we come to the point of gaining a soul content from them. No outer knowledge of history will solve their riddles for us, but we can penetrate deeply into them and then receive a content for the soul this soul content is a great hallucination a refined hallucination to be sure the hallucination of the gospel excuse me of the mystery of golgotha the greatest thing that can be gained from the gospels is the hallucination of the mystery of golgotha nothing more and nothing less you see this secret is just what is known to the newer catholic church therefore the church doesn't want laymen to finally know about the Gospels because it is afraid they might then realize that one cannot get an historical account of the Christ mystery from the Gospels but only an hallucination of this mystery of Golgotha. I could also call it an imagination because the hallucination is so refined that it is a real imagination but it is not possible to gain more than an imagination from the Gospel content itself. What is the way from the imagination to the reality? The way is opened up, you see, through spiritual science, not through what lies outside spiritual science, but through spiritual science alone. Which means the imagination of the Gospels must be raised to reality through spiritual science. It is in Araman's utmost interest to so prepare his incarnation that human beings do not find the way through spiritual science from the imagination in the Gospels to the reality of the mystery of Golgotha. Just as Ahriman has the greatest interest to preserve the sense for the abstract, so does he also have the greatest interest that humanity more and more develops the kind of piety that is merely based on the Gospels. If you think about that, he will understand that a great many of the denominations of the present time are paving the way for the realization of Ahriman's purposes on the earth. How could one better serve Ahriman than if one decided to utilize an available external power in order to command those who believe in that power and submit to it that they should not read anthroposophical literature? One could certainly do not do Ahriman a greater service than to bring it about that a number of people do not read anthroposophical literature. These people, who have decided to go the way of anthroposophy, have to acquaint themselves with it. There are some facts that just cannot be put in any way other than without reservation and in the light of the truth. It must be realized that the course of world development is moving toward the incarnation of Araman, which will be taking place in the not-so-distant future. The course of world development went from Lucifer's incarnation thousands of years ago and passed through the mystery of Golgotha, whose working still continues. Araman's incarnation must stand in the way of this development, so that through opposition the forces embraced by the Christ impulse are strengthened. Through a veiled cult of the Gospels and through abstraction, Araman will be helped on his way due to an inner need for comfort. Many people today shut themselves off from these serious matters. Anthroposophists should not do so. They should rather develop an impetus to do as much as possible for the spread of spiritual science in humanity. It is quite wrong when it is constantly believed that one needs to reach an understanding with people like Traub. It is senseless to believe that one could come to an understanding with such people, because they don't want to. What is important is to enlighten the rest of humanity about these people so that they can come to an understanding with us. Truly, it is for that reason that everything has come about. They would only need, without prejudice, to read what is there, to plunge deep into what is there. One must strictly distinguish between the characteristics of those people who do harm to the further development of humanity and the others to whom we must step up and tell them about the wrongdoers. Any attempt to arrive at an understanding with such people is quite pointless and has no meaning, for these people will only incline toward an understanding when they no longer have any followers who give them something to stand on. Then they are of themselves quite ready to reach an understanding. The primary necessity consists just in enlightening people about them. If only the striving to reach compromises in this connection did not unfortunately often exist just within our own circles. If only there was the courage for the absolute truth in this connection. It is quite unnecessary for us to ever be under the illusion of bringing about an understanding with this or that person who doesn't want an understanding with us at all would it be of any help to us what is necessary for us is to stand up courageously for the truth as much as we can and that it seems to me arises quite especially out of the conception of what is connected with human development the end of lecture 3